Well, I'm Todd Nathanson. And I'm Danny Roth. This is Song vs. Song, a special emergency edition because we're doing this, we're filming this way ahead of time. Yeah, but that's fine. It's going to yeah. be like this from now on. We're always going to film early. Film. We're going to record early. Like a professional people would do instead of flying by the seat of our pants as we always do. Yep. Uh, yeah, we're on like... It's a brave new world for Song vs. <laughs> Song. Yeah, we, we have to film it early because record it early. Because we are going on consecutive separate vacations to L.A. Yeah, I can't believe we're going to the same place, but literally the day you leave is the day that I go. Yeah, it's a really badly planned thing we're doing. Since we're doing this early, normally we'd have another eight days to get in comments and votes. And we got a lot, but, you know, eight days worth of comments and votes we're not going to get. So I feel bad because I don't want to miss a thing. But sadly, uh, uh, <laughs> but sadly, we're going to have to. Okay, listen. <laughs> let me tell you something. As 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 a as a person, a veteran of four years of podcasting. Yeah, this preamble is terrible, <laughs> a nightmare. So let's uh let's let's do a podcast. All right. This week, the big movie songs of nineteen ninety eight. A fantastic year that I I think I started listening to popular music for the first time that year. The year that I graduated from high school. Oh, the year I think I started going to high school, or not quite yet, even. Yeah, what, in eighth grade or something? Something like that. But uh, I do remember these songs being everywhere they are. I Don't Want to Miss a Thing, as previously referenced. And Uh Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls from Armageddon and City of Angels, respectively. The City of Angels, where we'll be going next week. That's true. (laughs) I think it's important to keep in mind that uh, before we recorded this, as we were prepping for it, Mm -hmm. I said... Oh, man, recording early means that we're not going to have time to watch both movies. Mm -hmm. And you said, well, I already watched Armageddon recently. Yes, I did. And I said, I guess that I will watch City of Angels to balance that out. So Mm -hmm. in case you were wondering, in our relationship, who's the top and who's the bottom, (laughs) uh, I believe that that answers that. Does it? Which one is like the dominant one? Because both those movies are terrible. They're a very different kind of terrible. Yes, they are very different kinds of terrible, just like these two songs are a very different kind of terrible. Interesting. But, oh, I look, I, I look forward to, so when we, we mentioned that we were going to do this last episode, mm-hmm. I said, I hate this and I hate you. Yes, you did. Because I don't like when we do songs where there's no winner for me because I don't like either one of them. Well, you, well too bad. You're going to have to pick. But <laughs> Well, all right. So let's, fine. Let's start there. Where did you start? What was your gut reaction to these two songs? Oh. Which one did you, where you're like, my, 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 my heart goes with this one. No, it's because these are like a couple of the first pop songs I ever knew. Like these are very hard for me to objectively evaluate. They're just kind of there for me. If I had to pick, I guess, I guess I'd have to go with the Goo Goo Dolls. That is also where I started. <laughs> did City of Angels beat it out of you? Well. Because I'm pretty sure Armageddon. We're not there yet. Yeah. You get it. That's a, that's, a, that's a story that has to be earned. Okay. So, all right. So, we both started by favoring Iris by yeah. the Goo Goo Dolls from the 1998 classic film, City of Angels. I, I think we're that way because we're both children of the 90s, regardless, and Aerosmith is a band out of time. Mm, it's interesting that you say that. Yeah. Well, all right. So, elaborate on that, and then I'll tell you why I'm not sure I agree, that our motivations are the same. Well, for me, Aerosmith is, you know, technically a 90s band. They were very big in the 90s. They had this giant hit. They had several other giant hits in the 90s. 
And they started the 90s on a high and they ended it on a high, at least the, you know, popularity wise. They just released Pump in 1989, which is like their best latter day album, the best post comeback album for them. And then in 1993, they had the, uh, what was it, Get a Grip? Yep. The one with the Alicia Silverstone trilogy. Yep. And then after that, but like 1993 feels like the last time Aerosmith should exist to me. That's like the end of an era. Okay. But all right. So, but boil it down. I'm looking for the simplest explanation. Why, why was your gut reaction Iris as opposed to, I don't want to miss a thing? Because Aerosmith, Aerosmith song is very stupid. It's a stupid song by a stupid band. Okay. From a stupid, stupid movie. From like a bad 80s band with a bad 80s movie. And the Goo Goo Dolls is of its time. It feels like the right band for the right time. That is like 1998 to its core. That's an alt band traveling towards adult alternative and landing in a firm middle of the road territory. That's where we were in 1998. The year of you know Collective Soul and Matchbox 20, and all that. Yep, Goo Goo Dolls certainly was similar at mm. the time yes. to those bands. Because, you know, it's funny, because Aerosmith traveled a long way to the sell outery of 1998, and so did the Goo Goo Dolls. They were like a punk band. Kind, Yeah, yes, they were. Because um, this is, you know, um, Dizzy Up the Girl was like their sixth album or something. Mm-hmm. You know, they put out a lot of records, and it was really only the, the last two that had been a little bit more of this type, you know? Yeah, I, I think I a had... A boy named Goo had a name that was like the first real dip of the toe into the mainstream, a pop adult contemporary. Yeah, and for the record, the rest of that band is like, just like the rest of that uh, album is just like a pretty straight up hard rock album of the time, hard rock alternative album. Uh, they were called replacements wannabes for most of their career. Yep. And by most of their career, I mean before they were famous. And uh, Boy Named Goo was much like that, except for name, which is what they made uh, their name off of. Their name. That's the one that made them big names. Yep. Did you want to say name one more time? Name. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Uh, so just very quickly, the reason why I picked Iris over I Don't Want to Miss a Thing is because mm-hmm. my hatred, at least upon first blush, when I think of Iris, I think I heard that song too many times. Mm-hmm. In 1998, it was perhaps the most inescapable song of the entire year. It was everywhere, and you just don't want to hear that song a thousand times. A ballad, I just don't want to hear it. Like, it's exhausting. You know, let, let me say, you came in and was like, oh, I hate these songs. I'm like, these songs are okay. And I was like really kind of shocked that it was like you had such strong reactions. I was, 18, I was 18 years old. Mm-hmm. I did not want to hear Iris a million times and I my way of sort of dealing because I went to an all boys school mm-hmm. and so I spent a fair amount of time at the uh, sister school the all girls school I don't want to surprise you but that was a song that a, a lot of uh, a lot of the, the, the young women that went to that school listened to they, they had an you know an interest in uh, Johnny Resnick and, and, and such and so you know it was just omnipresent and I didn't hate it in the beginning I just grew to loathe it because it was on too much. Whereas, I don't want to miss a thing, I hated from the very first listen. (laughs) I hated that song from the start. And I'll tell you why. It's because I was a very big Aerosmith fan at the time. Oh. Yeah. So so Aerosmith was a band that I, as as a sweet, sweet babe, perhaps did not 
know that well, but I knew them from 1989 onward, right? Like I remember um, Janie's Got a Gun coming out and being like, holy shit, this song rules. And, you know, it came out at a time where, again, I had no concept of what they were like before. I didn't know like mm-hmm. like uh, Toys in the Attic or anything like that, you know, Walk This Way. These were not songs Sweet that emotion. I was, right, I was not familiar with these songs. So I heard Jane's Got a Gun, and I and I thought, oh, so this band is kind of like Guns N' Roses, because that seemed like that seemed it could be like a like a Guns N' Roses song, like that almost seemed like maybe not off of Appetite for Destruction, but could have been off of you know Use Your Illusion or something like that. Yeah, well, Guns N' Roses were, wanted to be Aerosmith when they started, so yeah, that makes that's a perfect sense. They modeled themselves on Aerosmith. Yeah. So I heard that song, and I was like, oh man, this song fucking like cranks it's good mm-hmm. so i loved that and um and i thought like you know uh, pump was fine as a record like i liked it um but i really liked that song as a kid and then when get it grip came out the thing about that album is i like the alicia silverstone trilogy they're those songs are all the same but yes. fine amazing like, crazy crying yeah, yeah. yeah they're fine um i think some some arguably more fine than, than the others like i think mm-hmm. amazing is probably the weakest of the three but um well, i cannot remember how it goes so probably. but i like crying and, and crazy those are those are perfectly cromulent songs but the first two singles that came off of that record were very it was almost like a different record the first song i remember hearing off of that record was eat the rich which is again like it's really yeah. good. It's a really right. great and, and then um, uh, living on the edge, which is also kind of living in that same space. It just feels like a very different album to me. Those were the first two singles, and so when those songs came out, I was like, "Cool, Aerosmith's just gonna keep on Aerosmith and like this rocks." Mm-hmm. And so from that point, I really liked them, and I liked them so much that I was like probably one of the five people that didn't hate Nine Lives when it came out. Yeah, the mo- the the their album from 1997, which spat out no hit singles, like. But they tried. It didn't have any big hits. It had a lot of minor hits. Yeah, it had pink like the bang yep, yep, on yep. your cherry. I remember the the yep. the first song was "Falling in Love Is Harder Than Knees," <laughs> which is a very Steven Tyler thing to name a song. I you know I I hear things like I was like this was like six years after Nirvana. Like how how are you still here? Is, it was wild, and at yeah. that point, you know, I would have, I would have dug all the way back in. So, you know, I, I just liked Aerosmith full stop. I thought this is a great rock band, and no, I didn't hate Nine Lives when it came out. Like I understood that it was not a hit machine the way mm-hmm. that Get a Grip was, but I liked it. I thought this is a, this is fun. The songs are weird. They're trying things. You know, that's mm-hmm. fine. Like it doesn't. There are transitional albums. That's okay. Um, and there's stuff on this I'm still enjoying. So cool. Keep on going. Keep on rocking in a free world, Aerosmith. Mm-hmm. You know, and like they were famous for getting clean and still being good, and that's great. Like yep. that was nice. Like a like a rock band that had been kind of in turmoil, did too many drugs, felt unhealthy, and got clean yeah. and sober. And like I was like, that's nice. They've got like a nice story. Yada yada. Whatever. Mm-hmm. It was nice. And then, like a giant asteroid hurtling towards the Earth. Yes. Uh, much like that. I just can't. I remember the song coming out. I don't know that that selling out is a thing that people think about as much in 2019, but in the nineties, we thought about it a lot. Yeah. And also, I mean, part part of it was the time, part of it was a decade, but I think the other part of it also was, you know, when you're a teenager, you have like a real sense of like, you want people to be authentic (laughs) and anything that doesn't feel authentic is bullshit. 
you know, yeah. just selling out. You're just doing it for the cash. You oh, don't so really when you care mean, about when it. you say the time, you mean your age? Yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was the '90s, and I think the '90s was a little more um, predisposed to give a shit about that. But mm-hmm. also, I think teenagers in general are predisposed to give a shit about that mm-hmm. way more than you are when you're, say, pushing forty. So, I remember being so mad that the girl I was dating at the time, I was out to dinner um, with her and her family, and her dad, who I usually never got along with, we heard the, the song came on, and I was like, oh, Mr. Spencer, this fucking song sucks. <laughs> this is the war, this is, this, is, this is like the death of Aerosmith. I feel like one of my favorite bands is dead and just like somehow managing to shuffle along like so much sellout zombies. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I agree completely. And we really kind of commiserated and bonded over this. A simpler time when generations could come together over Aerosmith sucking. Yeah, (laughs) Aerosmith sucking. And that was it. So I think that was the reason why I hated that song more of the two, um, was that I just, I hated it right from the start. Because that was Aerosmith's big, quote, sellout song. And so, yeah, that's that's it. That was a really long ramble, but that's the reason why. They've worked with songwriters before. I'm not sure, but this one may be the one where they uh, wrote zero of it. So you know the story, right? Well, you, you, you tell the story. Um, in brief, Armageddon. They were going to have a song. Diane mm-hmm. Warren wrote the song. The song, as far as the filmmakers were concerned, was supposed mm-hmm. to go to U2. Really? Yep. That was supposed to, that was, there was the original intention that was that was going to be a U2 song. And uh, Diane Warren, when she was writing it, had more of like a Celine Dion in mind. Right, because this would have been, I, I, I'm not sure if My Heart Will Go On had been written quite yet or was like the hit it was. But, but you, can, cl- you can hear it. Yeah. Um, so, and when you look at the lyrics of the song and its construction and, you know, there's the chords and everything, like this is a Celine Dion song to its core. And yet, but anyway, go on. And, and yeah, and then Liv Tyler was in the movie. And mm-hmm. at that point they thought, well... Why not Aerosmith? Because I think you two had dropped out or something that they decided they weren't interested. <laughs> Let me tell you something. The only thing that could make I don't want to miss a thing worse, and I don't just mean a little worse, but uh, unbelievably worse, just like no survivors worse, would be if you two had done it, <laughs> in my estimation. I Like, them not doing it sounds like a rare concession to good taste from you two. Astonishing, like, but thank goodness it would have been worse. And again, in my opinion, as 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 a real U two hater and as somebody who for a long time really liked Aerosmith, and again, Steven Tyler's got an interesting voice. Like his voice is really like something else. This song, that's that's a whole other story. We'll get to that. But I like Steven Tyler's voice. I like that he's it's you know it's like he's like permanently a grandpa in my head. Like <laughs> his lyrics are so weird and backwards and of a time, but it never bothered me. Like you know they were putting out stuff in the nineties, and I was like, this still sounds like something that was written by a guy who was in his prime in his seventies. Yeah, and that it just didn't bother me because I like the seventies, so that's no big deal. Whereas I don't even know what to say about you two. Anyway, that's a whole other yeah. tangent. But <laughs> so yeah, Diane Warren like came in and like sat down with Steven Tyler and played it on the piano and he sang it and she, apparently there are occasions in which Diane Warren, a song she writes goes to somebody and she thinks that was a mistake. But in this case, and this is where Diane Warren and I are going to uh, respectfully, <laughs> respectfully disagree, she w- was practically moved to tears, thought this was, you know, like kismet, 
a per- perfect casting, as it were, a perfect choice to sing this song, Steven Tyler. It's, it, you know, his daughter's in the movie. And, like, from what I understood, he was, like, I remember him saying in interviews, like, something's like, eh, I don't know. I mean, I know my daughter's in it, but this is, this is so cheesy. I'm not sure if I want to do it. And then he watched the movie or, like, the dailies of it, and he gets to the part where, you know, she's crying daddy as Bruce Willis manfully sacrifices himself and he's like apparently just like tears streaming down his face i'll do the song i'll do the song yeah what a sucker (laughs) i mean not what a sucker yeah uh in case you didn't know i don't want to miss a thing Mm -hmm. has been and forever will be their biggest hit yes it's their only tragically it is and by a lot it is the biggest hit they'll ever have yeah eat that walk this way eat that sweet emotion Eat that, Janie's got a gun for that matter. Yeah. Eat that, falling falling in love is so hard on the knees. Yeah. And it, other I, classic you, yeah, Aerosmith yeah. songs. I would I would fall hard on my knees <laughs> if I found out that was going to be my legacy. That's mean. I'm really sorry, Steven Tyler. I'll yeah. tell you, we're going to start having guests on the show, and the more I study uh, Diane Warren, the more I want her to be a guest on our show someday. <laughs> Let me tell you something, Todd. You got more followers on uh, Twitter than she does, so maybe we can make it happen if I'm not a dick to Diane Warren. So uh, no, this uh, is the second Diane Warren song we've covered. I know she's our first repeat. I want to I want to say something on the topic of Diane Warren because yeah. I think it's it's related, and I don't remember what are things that you and I have talked about and what has been covered on this podcast. But mm-hmm. the first time we covered Diane Warren, um, I had gotten the sense because it was if I could turn back time, right? And I had read a story about how Diane Warren had gone to share, and and the way it was written was that she begged Cher to do it. And I thought, oh, she must be this this mousy person who's just, you know, very bashful and was like, please, 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 please mm-hmm. do this song. No. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that I learned, and I can't believe I didn't know this, is that Diane Warren is a brassy broad. She's not <laughs> someone to be fucked with. And that is why I like her. The more I find out about her, the greater she is. And the, the thing that I really liked is I heard this story um, from an artist named Paloma Faith who had said that. That Diane Warren wanted to wanted her to sing the song that she'd written uh, called "Only Love Can Hurt Like This," and uh, and what Paloma Face found out was that uh, Diane Warren's favorite word is the c word. <laughs> so she did this interview with uh, Andy Carr, who is um, uh, or was a, a host of a chat show in Britain, which is a nice way of saying a talk show. It's like Britain's British guys don't say talk shows; they say chat shows. Anyway, the point mm-hmm. is. That um, she told the story and he was like, well, don't say the C word. That's, you know, we don't say that on the show. It's to say tuppence. (laughs) So she's, you know, she's like, she's like, oh, I met Diane Warren. And I thought, like, I have to be on my best behavior because she's, you know, she's like music royalty. And I walk it and there's Diane Warren. She's like, hey, tuppence. (laughs) It's a, you know, and that's it. And like, she just kept using, she curses a lot. I listen to a lot of interviews with Diane Warren. She does. She curses constantly. She curses like a sailor. Well, what she said about this song specifically, and she was like, Wow, this one's schmaltzy even for me. Yeah, like. yeah. She was like, "This is really trickly," and and uh, and that's a th- the thing is, as I tried to not prepare to kiss Diane Warren's ass because I want to have her on the podcast someday, yeah. but as I tried to sort of think about these things on a deeper level and try to move past the 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 knee jerk bias you have of being fourteen when this or eighteen when this came out. Yeah, what I tried to do is I tried to listen to um, other artists play these songs. I thought like, well, maybe that'll help because. I think you and I can agree that one of the worst things about I Don't Want to Miss a Thing is Steven Tyler. His delivery's so weird. I hate it's it. It's so weird. And you know what else I hate? 
the entire production. I don't like <laughs> anything about it. I think it's overwrought. I think it's overproduced. I do not like anything about the production well, of the song. I, when you talk about the production, all I can imagine is the actual music video where all the like the NASA curtains fall down and there's like a giant uh, orchestra, like nothing but strings everywhere. It's like the, a galactic senate full of strings. Yeah. So here's what I can tell you. Um, there's a really great test that helps every once in a while. Um, the great thing about songs coming out in the 90s is that that was the era of ironic punk pop covers. Mm. And uh, have you ever heard of a band called Newfound Glory? Of course I have. You know what songs they covered? What songs? Why, uh, Iris and I Don't Want to Miss a Thing. <laughs> Both of these songs were covered by Newfound Glory, and I thought, great. You know what I liked, unironically, full stop, in the 90s, was pop punk and ska. That was, I was yeah. definitely that, that kid. That like that garbage music and confidentially still does. But, yeah. you know, I was like, oh, I'll listen to that and see if that can kind of help uh, make it a little better. And it did make it a little bit better. A little bit. You know, here's a funny thing. You know what the 90s also was a time for cover versions of? It was country covers of popular tunes. And that also, uh, yeah, so there was a big popular cover of I Don't Want to Miss a Thing. And I was still listening to some country music at the time. So I remember that being pretty omnipresent the the year after and i was like i already heard this every day on the pop stations why are we doing this again well why the thing is the only way you could make something more treacly and saccharine <laughs> is to make a country version of it instead of violins fiddles yeah and a steel guitar not better yeah i don't I know if it's worse but it's it's, it, it's, it's certainly not better it's 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 a just a different equal type of bad you said the worst thing about this is steven tyler's delivery I feel like it's the worst, but it's also kind of the best because Diane Warren's songs, she writes, you know, schmaltzy songs. And when they're in the hands of someone boring, like, you know, a Celine Dion or, oh, no, no, I got a better example. I think she wrote something for Pearl Harbor. The, she did. And Faith Hill covered that. Mm -hmm. She did that song. And I can't tell you how it goes. I don't remember it being a hit because it was boring. Faith Hill is boring, and pairing her with Diane Warren is a terrible choice. Steven Tyler, meanwhile, delivers things so weird and so over the top. I mean, I'll, yeah. I'll say this. Diane Warren has done songs with all kinds of people, including Snoop Dogg during his Snoop Lion phase. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. so she's, And I think she did some stuff with Common. You know, she's... I really... I have to say, I don't always like every song that Diane Warren produces. There mm-hmm. are songs of hers that I like a great deal, but I have a lot of respect for her um, because the craft is real and she'll ask anybody and she's got a certain degree of grit and drive that most human beings do not possess because she'll just show up, mm-hmm. you know? She'll be like, I don't know. Let me let me go on Twitter and see, like, maybe where where's Common hanging out right now? And just show up and be like, oh, funny, running into you here. By the way, I've written a song for you and you will take it. <laughs> How do you like the lyrics to this song? To I Don't Want to Miss a Thing? Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> I guess you, it's... I, well, like, Diane Warren's never going to hear this, so, you know, don't... You don't know. <laughs> you don't know. I will like, say let this. Let loose if you want to. I would say, I think that... Um, I don't think either songs are winning any... Uh, lyrical awards i don't what's what's what's, what's that, an I award they, for poetry <laughs> the poeties i don't great good answer <laughs> that's definitely a real thing good good going 
Do you get Pulitzer's poetry? I think you do. Maybe. I don't think I, I don't think anybody's winning any Pulitzer's for these two songs lyrics. Let's put yeah. it that way. You know, that's funny because I would have told you once upon a time as a 14 year old that that uh, Goo Goo Doll song is extremely poetic. Oh, it's uh, it's a little (laughs) it's creepy that song because it's just a song about the movie City of Angels and City of Angels. is a creepy fucking movie. It's like a heart when you rewatch it now. The first thing I thought was this this is a horror movie. (laughs) Nick Cage just staring at people. Staring at a He's kid. a romantic angel. He's an angel who falls in love. This movie opens with the death of a child, and he's just watching that child die, and then he is walking down a long-ass corridor with this dead little girl who's never going to see her mother again, probably, or yeah. w- whatever. And uh, I don't know. As far as I'm concerned, City of Angels, no, sir. That's not that. That's like a that's like a Freddy Krueger movie. That's a Nightmare on Elm Street. By the way, you know who did a song for Nightmare on Elm Street? That would be the Goo Goo Dolls. Really? That's fucking right. Which, which oh, like one of the like early '90s one when they were nobody. Yeah. The one big difference about these movies is that I don't want to miss a thing is indelibly tied to Armageddon. I think that's is that in the Animal Cracker scene? I think it was. It's definitely at the end of the movie, but. Think so. Yeah, like, well, it's sprinkled in throughout the movie, and you cannot listen to Aerosmith's I Don't Want to Miss a Thing without seeing, you know, Ben Affleck eating animal crackers out of uh, Liv Tyler's panties. Uh, okay. okay. By the way, that's a weird song to have your father singing. It's, I mean, look, <laughs> Steven Tyler is a weird fella. Yeah. That's his thing. His thing is he's weird. Um, yeah, but, I'm Awake Now by the Goo Goo Dolls is the one that's uh, it's from, like, Freddy's Dead or something. Yeah. And it's a pretty good song, by the way. Now, I got a lot of comments on here saying, like, Iris is from a movie? Like, well, yeah, because City of Angels was not, like, the biggest thing in the universe. It was, it was a decent-sized hit, but it I'll wasn't. Say, I'll say this. Um, what I remember of City of Angels is that I owned it on DVD because they gave it away when you bought DVD players. <laughs> you know? It was, like, it was like, you know, it was like Frampton Comes Alive, you know? You it gotta, comes you, with packets of Tide. Yeah. It's a, great, know, it's a great Wayne's World joke for all the other uh, middle-aged people in the world. But, making of Aerosmith. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. So, yeah, the deal was that that was a movie that just got handed out because they were really trying to move DVD players back in the day because this would have been 1998, right, mm-hmm. when it came out. And it wouldn't have been until around late 99, 2000 that DVD would have become the predominant format because... Of the Matrix, the Matrix was the movie that moved the format from VHS to DVD. I don't know if you remembered that. I did not. That's a fact. That's a fact, Jack. Yep. Uh, so prior to that, people weren't really buying DVD players, and so they would give movies away. And I owned City of Angels for that very reason. And but you just watched it for the first time, or just no, I've seen it before. Okay, I watched it for the first time like a few years ago. What do you think of it? Yeah, it's extremely bad. What I distinctly remember is that it changed Iris for me forever. Wow. Because I did not realize that Iris is entirely about the movie. It is 100% from the, ca- the point of view of Nicolas Cage in that movie. Like, it is as much a movie theme as Men in Black is for Men in Black. Yeah. Ooh. Ha-ha, and ha-ha. that, like, Meg Ryan's dead. Yeah. <laughs> Spoilers. 
Yeah, yeah. I know. People are going to miss out so, on City of uh, Angels. In this 21-year-old movie. Yeah. But like once I knew that, like every line that I thought was so poetic became so obvious because like, and I'd give up forever to touch you. Literally. Yes, it's entirely literal. That is not poetic. That is literally the plot of the movie. You know what's a bummer about City of Angels? I mean, I, I mean, other yeah. than that, it's a really depressing movie. Well, yeah. so here's my, always been my takeaway about the film. Mm-hmm. The romance part is the worst part of the movie. Oh, it's terrible. It's the part that makes it suck. You know what's interesting? The stuff with, uh, with Dennis Franz from NYPD Blue. Oh, yeah. That's the stuff that works. The stuff that's like, I was a guy who was an angel, and then I chose to fall, and you can do that too. And the, the conflict over whether or not that's worth doing, or perhaps more honestly, is that inevitable? And if it's inevitable, do you make the choice to fall at such a time in which you feel like there's going to be somebody there to pick you up? That's a good story. It's not the story that you get, except for this little sliver. Like well, maybe about twenty percent of the movie is that. City of Angels is a doofy remake of a very serious foreign German movie, right? And uh, the Dennis Franz character in that one is Peter Falk, playing Peter Falk, like the guy who played. He's playing himself, and he's also a fallen angel. Just one question: sir. <laughs> You're an angel, aren't you? So yeah, the Dennis Franz part is the good part of that, but there's like this extremely doofy romance it's it's like the precursor to the twilight and the monster fuckery of yeah the, except it just didn't land people did yeah. not really care for city of angels as far as i can remember i don't remember i being remember a it being like hit. a decent size hit not like a huge hit look i'm always gonna give it to um people don't give enough credit to meg ryan people are like mm-hmm. ah she's the she's the rom-com lady mm-hmm. i don't know man she's some weird movies city of angels is a weird fucking movie to say yes to I, I just want to know how Nicolas Cage got cast as, like, like when they made I Fucked Death with Brad Pitt, that made sense to me. That movie's m- intensely worse, one of the worst movies I've ever seen, but, like, Brad Pitt as, like, the supernatural romantic avatar, that makes sense, not Nicolas Cage. And, are, you, and- are you telling me that <laughs> when they sat down and wrote the scene where Meg Ryan sees him in the library and she's going to tell him, look, I'm going to marry this other guy... And I'm going to let you continue being what you are. And she says to him, you're so beautiful. <laughs> you don't immediately think of Nick Cage. That's not the first face that pops I mean, yeah, in you're your just, mind. I'm just imagining them, you know, who's ever in charge reading the screenplay is like, I know just the guy. Yeah. <laughs> but like, also, I, I, I told you how this uh, thing changed my entire uh, perception of the song. I also couldn't listen to it anymore without hearing Nicolas Cage's voice in my head. And you can't fight the tears that ain't coming. Wow. <laughs> That's fair. Because it, it is about him and like everything that happens in the movie is uh, Nick, Angel Nicolas Cage. You know who should have been in that movie? Who? It should have been Keanu Reeves. He would have been a perfect angel. I mean, he basically is an angel on Earth. So That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't. At that point, is it still a bad movie? Yes. So, it, you know, probably Keanu Reeves dodged a bullet with the, with the, bullet, <laughs> with the bullet time, you see. Um, but that, oh my God, can you imagine what kind of world we'd be living in if Keanu Reeves had done City of Angels and Nicolas Cage was Neo in The Matrix? What? I would, I don't want to live there, but I would fucking visit. <laughs> That's the universe I want to vacation at. It sounds bizarre. I know Kung Fu. It, well, I mean, I don't know that that would be a, 
You know what? That would that movie would be so bad it would cross over into good. <laughs> it would be wonderful. City of Angels is a bad movie, but like Johnny Resnick, who was uh, the lead singer of the Goo Goo Dolls, and I guess still is. Well, there were two like, guys. There's like basically two guys that are the consistent guys in the band, and he was not the original lead singer. Yeah, eventually he it all came over to him because he had the the prettier voice. Yep, and the prettier face. Let's be honest. You know, you you talked about how all the girls loved the Goo Goo Dolls. I mean, my first girlfriend, her f- favorite band was the Goo Goo Dolls. I Diz- think, Dizzy Up the Girls is not a bad record. It's I like, just very, I like it's Dizzy just, Up the it's Girl. Very, it's very mainstream. Yeah, that's like I said, they, he wasn't the lead singer and then they got hot and like he had to be the lead singer from now on. And like every time the other guy would try to do one of his songs, it, it felt weird. Like you're, the, you have no place in this band anymore. This is the Johnny Resnick show. Except not really. I mean, yeah. in the sense that he wasn't going to be a lead uh, in the band as far as I mean, as, he like, was a lead he's singer. still a very part, much part of the band. I'm I sorry, mean, Robbie Takeak. Yeah, but, don't come for him. Here's yeah. what I know: that band's still together. That band put it on an album like last fucking month, and it's, yeah. I listened to a little bit of it. It's not bad. I mean, they basically became a, like a wedding band. At, well, all right. So, oh man, that you say that, and that's interesting. I, in so, fact, I think my little brother got married to a Goo Goo Dolls song. You know what's interesting? Uh, so Iris is absolutely a wedding song. Mm-hmm. However, so is I don't want to miss a thing. And interestingly, Diane Warren, I, I listened to an interview with her where she said that it was in like the top five or top 10 funeral songs. I don't want to miss a thing. Funeral, you would think Iris would be on that list, wouldn't you? You would think that because Meg Ryan gets it from, from a giant truck. Thing, and it's wood. That's the other thing. It's a giant piece of lumber. Which is how you know that City of Angels is in the same universe as Final Destination 2. I'm, I am totally imagining that, you know, the unseen force of death in all the Final Destination movies, I am only going to picture Angel Nicolas Cage from now on. Oh my god, yeah, just imagine in any Final Destination movie, from now on, there are a bunch of invisible assholes in black trench coats and these weird open shirts <laughs> just sitting up on big billboards and shit. I don't know, like, like being like, well... Well, this person told me that their favorite thing about being alive was toothpicks, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, music. So, yeah, I mean, the Goo Goo Dolls were a genuine band. They were never, I think what makes them sort of weird is that they never split up. Mm -hmm. Like they had like. They switched drummers once. Yeah. yeah, But like the two guys, the guys Mm -hmm. who are the band. The, the duo that makes up the Goo Goo Dolls, mm-hmm. um, the Goo and the other Goo, if you yes. will, that goo, keeps goo the, and goo. that yep. keeps the Goo together. <laughs> Those guys have been working consistently, and most other bands split up. Most, you know, most marriages fall apart, but yeah. not this band, and they just kind of stayed together. And last year, I think they went and did like a big twentieth anniversary Dizzy Up the Girl tour, and then they kind of put it to bed. I don't know. I think what's interesting about Goo Goo Dolls is looking at them in retrospect. Um, they kind of ran the gamut. You know, yes, the the replacements that was there, that little bit of Soul Asylum on them, too. Speaking of another band who was a hard rock band that no one remembers as a hard rock band anymore. But yeah, I don't know. I look back at Iris and I go, still, it still got overplayed to a point that I can't really enjoy it as much. But I mean, it's got lasting power. I've seen, you know, when people like, there's a, there's a a video I found of uh, Resnick going out on stage in 2011 with, you know who? Taylor Swift. Huh. 
a 2011 Taylor Swift, which is might as well be another planet Earth. Yeah, you who's, know who she, is that? Because she sang, she sang it with him, and I and I was reminded of the fact the, that the she, old Taylor, that she sang very differently in 2011. She still had a little bit of that country twang in the voice before she had completely abandoned it. Um, but yeah, it was interesting to see her up on stage with Johnny Resnick and enthusiastically singing Iris with him. We said these both wedding songs, and like, I don't know, Iris does kind of strike me as a a funereal song yes yes it does especially that like super intense like something very important is happening during that thing and like and it's not happy yeah all right so here's we have rambled yeah we're gonna do three questions this is gonna be a thing maybe we're gonna keep doing from now on i i over time i have realized that there are three dumb questions that we've asked so now we're gonna have like a section that's like three dumb questions as we're calling it now Mm -hmm. maybe we call something else later three dumb questions the first question is thus todd if one of these songs has to be lost to history what is the one that you feel has to stay and which one can go you know, despite them being very different bands, I feel like both these songs occupy basically the same spot in uh, pop culture history. And I feel like if you had to lose one, I say I don't want to miss a thing. You can you can get rid of that. I'm stuck on this. You know why? Yeah. Because this was such a big hit for Diane Warren. Mm-hmm. She's got other hits. Aerosmith yeah, I guess has you, other I hits. Guess, yeah, I guess, I guess they would both be fine. Whereas, yeah. what happens to Goo Goo Dolls if they don't have Iris? I mean, it's yeah. weird because the other songs off, off of Dizzy Up the Girl, there's like a number of other songs that are not so different from that song that I prefer to Iris because I didn't get them overplayed mm-hmm. in my brain because of radio and the all-girls school that I <laughs> Um But yeah, I, I guess, I guess if I, you know, I don't really need either of them. That's really the truth is that if they both dropped off the face of the earth today, nothing would really be lost. I feel like Iris had more effect on what came after. I don't want to miss a thing is like a goodbye, not only to uh, Aerosmith's peak years, but also like a certain kind of songwriting that we just don't really use anymore. Really cheesy, schmaltzy, 80s-ish stuff that Diane Warren kind of thrived at. And she's moved that she herself has kind of moved on from. Yeah, I agree. All right. So that's that one. Then the second question is, uh, you can be a fly on the wall for the creation of one of these songs, would you rather be watching uh, the Goo Goo Dolls come up with Iris or would you rather be a fly on the wall watching Diane Warren figure this one out? Uh, I don't want to miss a thing. I watched a bunch of interviews where uh, Johnny Resnick's talked about how he created it and he was like, after his first big hit name, this was like the pressure is on and he's finally out of his like slave record label contract. He could finally make some money. And he was like stricken with writer's block because of the pressure. And apparently watching City of Angels just broke him open. It's like, ah, oh, this is perfect. I got to write all this down. And I just feel like that would be more entertaining to watch. Because that movie is awful. Versus City of... I don't know, though. I'd, I want to... I kind of want to see the magic happen of Steven Tyler really nailing that overwrought vocals that he does well here's the thing yeah i mean that's interesting to me but i want to know what it's like when diane warren writes a song i want to be there because i imagine like do you think i bet she started with the with the with the chords with the the structure of it Mm -hmm. and i bet as she was figuring it out she was probably like 
fucking hate you. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I, I just like because she curses a lot. That's the that's the bit. But I but, like the like idea she, of watching her figure something out. Seems kind of cool because she's such a legend. I think she said uh, said something was like, oh, James Brolin, the actor, said something similar. About, oh, right. That's about, interesting, right? About, about Barbara Streisand, his, his wife. His wife, Barbara Streisand. I was like, oh, I don't. I want to. I miss you even when I'm asleep. And that is such a corny thing. Thank you for bringing that up. But, oh, yeah. later she said that uh, Diane Warren was like, actually, now that I think about it, I wouldn't want somebody to do that. That's <laughs> no, that no, that's creepy, creepy. as hell. Um, yeah. But interesting fact, this is like a, a degrees of, uh, of Meg Ryan rather than Kevin Bacon. But, mm-hmm. okay, you ready? Watch this. All right. Brolin. Brolin. Is in Amityville Horror. Correct. Meg Ryan is in Amityville Horror 3D. What would that have been like 1985 or something like that? Uh, like no. before, it be, was it be, she was not famous yet at no, the time. No, which is I think, because I think, why she's in Amityville 3D. I think she, it was her third or fourth. Was this after Top Gun? No, this no. would have been uh, this before, been before Top Gun. Yeah, so she's is, really not famous. No, she's not famous at all at this point. Yeah. She'd done like she was doing a little bit of television work, and I think she had been like one other movie, and that was it. Yeah. So she's in that, and that takes us to City of Angels. So that's it. I can bring these and that City of Angels takes to the Goo Goo Dolls. So it's all connected, man. Yeah. You know, put the put the crazy put the wall crazy up on the wall, and I can explain it to you. Yeah. Um, how it is it that it's all like it's all a conspiracy? You know, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I think I would want to be where the Iris guys work because they got the mandolin, and mandolins are cool. And yeah. I'd like. Well, I, I mean, it's also a more complex song. Um, I don't want to miss a thing. It's very, very, very simple, very, very basic. Yeah, well, you know, Iris is in 3-4, and you can absolutely play it as, like, an Iris jig. Like, when I was learning to play piano, I was like, oh, I can do this. And I'd give up forever to touch you, because I know that you feel me somehow. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is cool. I can play, play yeah. it like this, and it's funny. Yeah, the Google Dolls makes a dick limerick. This was, by the way, one of, like, the biggest hits ever in Ireland. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Take that, you two. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, oh, uh, your hatred of you two knows no bounds. That's oh, right. So, yeah. final question: William Shatner decides that he is going to do one of his Shatnerian covers. Which of these songs, from a lyrical perspective, would he perform? Again, I have to absolutely go Iris because it's so intense and he can really go through it. Versus, I don't want to miss a thing, which is it's a Diane Warren song. It's it is what it is. It's just. You're not going to get much out of it, I feel like. The lyrics are, are there to be there. I guess. Hmm. It's tough to say. Wait, which would, Although, which would you have, uh, have Nicolas Cage do? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I don't know. The, the William Shatner thing is, is, is really always going to be in my head. Um, I could stay awake I, just to hear you breathing. I, I don't know. stay awake just to hear you breathing. Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Watch you smile. <laughs> While you're sleeping. I just, the thing about William Shatter when he does it is always like there's these layers of like yeah. whimsy and creepy. <laughs> and so I don't know. I feel like I don't want to miss a thing could really work for him. I really think he could do it. I think he could sell it in a great way. Put, put, you know, put, put a rocket ship behind him and a cigarette in his hand. Yeah. Have him in a tuxedo. Um, yell Mr. Tambourine Man somewhere in the middle of it. I don't know, man. I, don't know. I think I, I could I don't take know. it. Like when I think William Shatner's stuff, I think. It works better when he's jaded and angry, like with common people and with Rocket Man. So I think uh, the sincerity of I don't want to miss a thing might throw him. Hmm. 
I don't know. You can't find the tears that ain't coming or the moment of truth in your life. Well, yeah, I guess yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Huh. <laughs> I can totally see it now. When everything feels like the movies, yeah, you bleed. Just, Just to know your lie. <laughs> there we go. All right. You're right. You're yeah. right. Okay. Now that we've answered those important questions, which we do, just so you understand, well, the first the first question uh, gives you a sense of historical context, I suppose, um, like which one has got the legacy, and then the second one is sort of about um, composition, which one's the better one musically, and then the Shatner question, as dumb as it is, is a song about lyrics. It's yeah. uh, not a song about lyrics. It's a it's a question of lyrics. So it's for a real reason. I don't want people to think that I'm just being a dumb asshole without purpose. This nonsense has a has a purpose, goddammit. If you say so, Danny. <laughs> it does. It does. Okay. How dare you? Go ahead. Now we can listen to, to what the, okay, what, what the folks said. Okay, some comments. Let's see, what do we got here? What do we got here? I want to give a shout out to Evan Miles Wright right away, who wrote in, fuck the Goo Goo Dolls. Well. And then added a second comment, they can suck my balls. <laughs> that turns, it turned out that was from a song. Oh, a really? steel, steel Panther song. Oh, okay. Okay. Disag- a- disagree, Steel Panthers. <laughs> okay. Rich Key writes, I don't want to miss a thing came out a decade too early. It doesn't belong in Armageddon. It belongs in Twilight. It is the anthem for all the Edward Cullens out there. I could stay awake. Oh, gosh. Just to hear you breathing. But as you I said, did. I mean, I don't know. I, I guess that's true. And yet the angels of the, Nick, of the Nick Cage variety are also very Twilighty. I, I forgot to write this one down. And so whoever wrote this, I'm sorry. Who, I can't remember your name. But someone said, like, I learned Iris from one of Stephanie Myers' playlists. Oh, I completely believe that. Yeah, that makes complete and total sense. All right. Elijah Stolia writes, Iris comes off as annoying teenage angst over basically nothing. And I don't want to miss a thing is middle age angst over basically nothing. A fair point. Yes, 100%. Let's see. Jess Lightning writes, Don't want to miss a thing is the bloated corpse of 1970s cock rock that no one has disposed of, so it sits there festering in its stink that just gets worse as time passes. Can't agree. Again, Aerosmith in the 80s and 90s were pretty cool, and this is the song that abruptly destroyed them for me. Yeah, okay. So, sorry, Diane Warren, if you're listening, but we didn't write that. Someone else wrote that. Someone so else wrote that. A... Please come on our podcast at some point, <laughs> Diane Warren, please. Okay. Jacob Gregory writes, I've never seen Will Ferrell and John Hader bump crotches while ice skating to the Goo Goo Dolls, so I'm going to have to go with I don't want to miss a thing. Oh. No one knows what it means, but it's provocative. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's a okay. good point. That's a good point. All right. Uh, I didn't write this one down, but apparently I don't want to miss a thing is also very, very, very popular with anime music videos. And fan vids of all kinds. Oh, that seems right. Well, I think they also said that about Iris too. So yeah, you know what? Uh, you know what band also used to appear in fan vids all the time was Muse. Oh, Doctor Who fan vids guaranteed Muse is going to show up. Also, fun, a, fun fact. Also, a Stephanie Meyer favorite band. Oh, I believe it. I believe yeah. it. Proceed. Okay, Jacob. Uh, Jacob Ijolson. It's a it looks Icelandic of some kind, but Jacob. You tried. You tried. Ijolson says. Is kissing your significant other's eyes while they're asleep supposed to be romantic? Because that really strikes me as rude and creepy. Um, I mean... Yeah, I would want to sleep. Don't kiss my eyes. That's... Ugh. Ugh. 
Well, I, I mean, like, I got, wait, like, I've got like, like boogers like a, in my eyes. Like, and a, stuff. like a closed eye? I don't know. I'm not really like super creepy. Like, it's creepy if, like, someone's trying to kiss my open eye. Like, they're, like, <laughs> holding it open. Like, it's a clockwork orange, and they're like, I gotta get in there. Um, that would be weird. For what it's worth, you know, like I said, I c- couldn't really imagine, like, uh, anyone, like, really hating these songs uh, because of where I heard them. But, like, a good half of them were like, oh, these are both the worst songs ever made. And I was like, really? Like, where is this coming from? Yeah, I mean, probably. I mean, they were influenced by my, uh, by you, by me. It was my you, fault. you vomiting in disgust at the end of the last episode. I did. I should clean that up. For example, Joe DL wrote a very long thing, but I'm only going to excerpt one sentence here. It says, "I'm surprised at how much these two songs have in common. For a start, I can't listen to either of them without picturing a dog forlornly licking the operation scar where its genitals used to be." <laughs> he did not elaborate. Wow. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. <laughs> I appreciate you as always, Joe. Gizmo Duck writes Between that and your If I Could Turn Back Time episode, I think I am learning that I hate Diane Warren. Oh, you're wrong. <laughs> you are wrong to hate Diane Warren. No, I mean, you can, you know, I, I mean, I guess people are human beings. You can like and dislike who you like, but uh, Diane Warren is so interesting. She wrote I, nothing's gonna stop us now by starship and that's all i need that's the greatest song ever written and she right. did unbreak my heart by but which tony, tony braxton, braxton did yeah. and that song fucking rules yeah sam stoop writes i find a hard time voting against the goo goo dolls since they were and are the only artists on metal blade records to ever have a platinum album the same record as guar and cannibal corpse put out the goo goo dolls yep guar needs to do a cover of iris all right let's see NATO Kitsch writes, a uh, nice name for the record. NATO Kitsch <laughs> writes, there was only one logical way to figure this out. So over the past few days, my roommate and I listened to the songs on a loop, taking a shot of crack and rum every repetition until the songs became bearable or we died. Aerosmith only took 10. Goo Goo Dolls took 23. So Aerosmith wins this. I'll tell you what. I yeah. really appreciate the hustle. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that that means that neither of us has to use that formula. Yeah, no, I would we're rather not use do my that. dumb Shatner question. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't think beer goggles works for songs, does it? I don't know. It could. I, I mean, yeah. in the sense that the drunker you get, the more likely you're going to put on a crappy song when you when and you're singing at the, at the top of your lungs. Yeah, yeah. So I that's can fair. say that. <laughs> I, I, I don't know why I uh, put this one down. It just kind of struck me. Someone named Martin writes, "Wow, I don't want to miss a thing." Is extremely bad. <laughs> <laughs> I guess they had never heard it before. Yeah, it's not good. It's not a good song. For me, like, my favorite moment of that entire song is there's just a moment where Steven Tyler just breathe in. It's like, in this sweet surrender. <laughs> that, and ma- it, that makes me want to die immediately. And he, play, he play does, it at my funeral. <laughs> and one last one. Michael McCormick writes, Iris, because while it's not good, it doesn't creep me out by virtue of not being the soundtrack for the singer's daughter having sex in a Michael Bay movie. And that'll do it for us. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to yeah. say, I was, I was trying, I was reaching, I was listening to other versions to try and maybe reconsider my position. Mm-hmm. I really was. I'm sorry, Diane Warren. <laughs> I'm still going to stick with Iris. Please still come on our show at some point. Okay, yeah. Uh, and if Aerosmith or the Goo Goo Dolls... Uh, are listening also. We love you guys. Yeah, this is not... And if God is listening, we love you, God. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Who, uh, and any other celebrities, pre- you know, President Obama, hello? 
I assume that Nicolas Cage is actually here right now. Yeah. He's beautiful. And his Invisible Angel. Yep. It's him. Well, you know what? I take that back. I'm pretty sure. Andre Brower is here right now. Oh, yeah. He's taking a break from Brooklyn Nine-Nine to listen to this podcast because he's a nice guy. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure if there are any angels watching us, we have convinced them to never, ever set foot on Earth again. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, the only one that's still here is the fucking morning star. Anyway, yeah. continue. I, I welcome the... Uh, you know what? Someone told me in the comments, because I hadn't looked at the vote count yet, so we're going to do the vote count now. Yes. It's like, <laughs> And someone told me, he was like, well, I was like, we're going to have to do this one early, so we're not going to get as many votes in. And someone was like, well, it's a slaughter anyway, so it's not like... Yeah. Is, and it, I was like, is it still a slaughter? It was, but like when they wrote that, I was like, I have no clue. I have no clue which one is going to beat the other. I mean, I know one's substantially stupider than the other one, but I cannot f- imagine what if that means if that's going to be a good thing for it or the bad thing. What, what do you think won? Uh, I mean, I'm looking at the results right now. I would have I have to believe that Iris won. That's my gut. Okay. Well, I thought it'd be a lot closer than this. I thought they'd have like a split demographics. Like if you you definitely like one, or you definitely like the other. But here it is. For a total of 501 to 125 Woo. for a 74% to 26%, it is Iris. Iris over Aerosmith. I think that I think that the voters voted correctly. That sounds right. It doesn't, you know, this is great. What I really like about Song versus Song is that unlike in the real world, mm-hmm. the votes matter <laughs> and people usually vote right. Yeah, we've I've like of one out of like the 25 episodes that we've done so far I, I think we've been uh pretty solidly with the crowd like i've only think of one that i was like no you did it wrong yep <laughs> uh all right so that is our episode and now i get to give you the spiel one of these days i'm going to write the spiel down uh-huh. and then it'll be great um so the first thing is thank you for listening uh the second thing is if you are a patron and you give money to this podcast um double thank you for listening if you are not subscribed to the podcast already, think about subscribing. If you've never given it a review, give it a review. It does help us out a great deal. And uh, we do have a Patreon. We do have a third episode every month that is a patron exclusive. It only costs you $1 uh, if you want to check it out. Um, that's it. It costs a buck a month, which is very, very little. I think when you go on, that's like less than what Patreon automatically asks for. Like if you go on Patreon, the default is two bucks. And I'm mm. telling you that it's half that. If you want to give two bucks, great, but you don't have to. So that's a that's the thing that you can do that would help us out a great deal. And the other thing that I have not said before, but I think is also helpful, you know how like you go on Twitter sometimes and people say, hey, give me some podcast recommendations, recommend our podcast. Uh, by doing that, uh, not only do we get more listeners, but it also puts out the idea that we have a podcast that people should listen to and potentially, I don't know, be a guest on Diane Warren. Uh, <laughs> so that is another thing that you can do. And uh, the last thing I will say is this. We have another podcast that films exactly at the kitchen table that uh, Todd and I are currently sitting at. It is called The Apocalypse Book Club. It is our sister podcast. It is a podcast wherein uh, Antonella and Sarah and my wife, Raven Jacobowski, uh, get together and they go through every work of apocalyptic fiction in chronological order. And it is very good. And I highly recommend it if you have not checked it out already. What are we doing next time, Todd? Oh, we're going to uncharted territory here. Oh, boy. This will be interesting. In tribute to a movie that's coming out by the end of this month, uh, we're going to do Let It Go versus How Far I'll Go, a Disney showdown.
Oh, I'm stoked. I already know, I already know exactly where I'm going to. There's not there's not even a debate for me. Me neither, but cannot wait. <laughs> we will see you next time. Uh-huh.